This morning, I have the privilege of uh, speaking to you regarding Thanksgiving and uh, the benefits of Thanksgiving, the necessity of Thanksgiving. Um, if you will turn with me to Philippians 4, 4 through 7, I'll be reading from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Pastor called me probably about two weeks ago now and said that he was going to be out of town uh, attending uh, Carolyn's uncle's funeral and asked me if I would speak on Thanksgiving. And so um, it being such a small subject matter, it made it really easy, narrowed it way down, you know, Thanksgiving. And so here we are, and this is the passage I chose. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I was looking at this passage when I thought of all the passages I could speak on on Thanksgiving and I saw in this that I saw four things. I'm going to tell you what they are, and we'll, we'll try and hit them, and, um, or at least I'll try and hit them. You'll try and listen to them, hopefully. And uh, the one is maintaining a spirit of joy, contentment on display, trust in the Lord, and thankful prayers. Let's go. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. In this verse, we see that Paul, the author, is repeating the theme of the book of Philippians. If you didn't know it, Philippians is called the book of joy. So he comes right out in verse 1 of, or verse 4 here, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The word rejoice that he uses here is a, in the language, the way it's written is, it's known as a present imperative. It's something you must do. It's something you must be doing presently. Right now, actively, you should be rejoicing. Not according to your circumstances, but in the Lord. And not sometimes always. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Not in my circumstances, but what I'm rejoicing in is in the Lord, in his sovereign will in my life, in his sovereignty period. I'm rejoicing in all the things that I have in the Lord. Is there ever a time in your life when you thought there's nothing to rejoice about? My circumstances are not ones that I find much joy in. It's December 14th and uh, my house payment hasn't been paid. It'll be late tomorrow. Oh, rejoice. What great joy that is. You see, the object, it's important that you keep the object in mind of what you're rejoicing in. If the object is in what you can do and what you can accomplish, and in relationships 
earthly relationships, you may find times where you aren't rejoicing, where it's hard to have joy. But Paul is saying we rejoice in the Lord always. So I find my joy in him, and it's always available. If I'm not rejoicing in him, he's not the one with the problem. Because there's plenty, plenty to rejoice about when we're talking about the Lord. Amen? What about just what he's done for you in your life? Where did he find you? You were headed for hell. Huh? And he found you. He picked you up. He took you out of the mire and he placed you on a solid rock called Jesus Christ. And now he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Let me tell you, you should have no problem rejoicing today. Boy, if this group was Pentecostal, it would have went up in smoke after that. That was a smattering. But it's true, isn't it? We get caught in our circumstances and we fail to rejoice. We fail to have joy. If you're looking to people to fulfill you, to bring you joy, your family, your friends, the pastor, your wife, your brother, your sister, good luck. Good luck. Let me tell you, they'll let you down. I have family that I had great relationships with at one time that hardly talked to me today. Boy, I'm sure glad that they're not my source of joy. Although they can be. God uses family to be joyful with us and for us to have that kind of joy. But when you place the object of the Lord of what you're finding your joy in, you will never cease to be joyful. Amen? So that's why he says it twice, I think. Paul realized that the letter that he's writing to this people, they were under persecution. There were lots of circumstances in their lives where joy might have been the last thing they were thinking about. Rejoicing might have been the last thing. But you know, it's very interesting. Paul himself models rejoicing. While he's writing this letter, he's in a prison. And he's in prison for preaching Christ. And yet he can write, he writes the entire book of Philippians in a Roman cell, and we call it the book of joy. I don't think he let his present circumstances alter his affection or his rejoicing object or what he was rejoicing in. He was rejoicing in the Lord. That is who you are to rejoice in. He's encouraging them. Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Now, I think a key ingredient to your rejoicing, either overly rejoicing to some, <laughs> where you're rejoicing the way you should be, really, or your lack of rejoicing, is based on your knowledge of who you're rejoicing. Right? If you don't know the Lord very well, you're going to have 
struggling times of how do I rejoice in somebody that I don't know? Huh? So the more knowledge you gain of who he is, the more you'll be able to rejoice in him. And the less you know about him, the less you have to rejoice about. So my encouragement would be, open up the book. Start reading it. Start studying it. Start finding out who you're rejoicing. So if you want a greater level of understanding, a greater level of rejoicing, get to understanding him better. Get to know him. Bring, and here's the, here's the problem. I don't know if it's a problem, but it's an issue. Uh, pastor or whoever's preaching, they work pretty hard putting together the truth of Scripture, the meaning of it, and bringing it to you and presenting it to you and applying it to your life and giving you applicational points that you can leave with that will change you, that will make you want to rejoice in the Lord. And you walk out the back door and you forget them. Happens every week. I've done it. I come on Tuesday into the offices and I can't even remember what passage of Scripture we were in on Sunday morning. Happens. So increase your knowledge, you'll increase your rejoicing. So, boy, I would encourage you, maybe not today because maybe you don't want to take notes, but man, when you come, bring a notepad with you. Do you know how encouraging that would be to a guy up here speaking if he saw you writing notes? Not to your neighbor, but notes about the sermon. Notes about, man, that's a point I never thought of. Man, you mean to tell me I'm supposed to rejoice in the Lord always? Yes, always. He said always because he meant always. Not sometimes or not when everything's going really good. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord whenever he's made everything perfect in my life. No, that's not what he said. He said to rejoice always. So that's a, a maintaining a spirit of joy, and I think it requires thanksgiving. If you're not thankful for the Lord, you're not going to rejoice in him. Huh? If you're not thankful, and I'm going to step on your toes here. If you're not thankful, if you're not giving thanks for the lady or the husband, the, the husband or the wife that God gave you, there's a really good chance you're not rejoicing in them. You're not finding any joy in them if you're not giving thanks for them. Yeah, it got really quiet. All right. So it's the truth, though. Isn't it the truth? You know, I've, I do counseling all the time, and I have married couples coming in, and they're struggling with their marriage, and they're just having all these issues. They've got no joy in each other anymore. They stop giving thanks for one another. They stop saying, God, thank you so much for this wife you've given me. So they have no joy in their marriage. And then it passes down, people. If you're not enjoying your wife and you're not enjoying your husband, your kids are going to see it. And they're going to say, why shouldn't I live with somebody? Because marriage ain't the key. That wasn't in first service. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Let's move on. Verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. All men and women. It, it's, it's all inclusive. It's a neuter. So it's all people. Let your gentle spirit be known to all 
Are you known as someone with a gentle spirit? Outside the walls of this church, are you known as someone with a gentle spirit? In your home, when no one else is around but you and your wife and kids, do your kids and wife and family know you as someone with a gentle spirit? Hmm. Maybe we should define gentle spirit a little bit more so you can understand what it is I'm asking you. As I studied this passage in different commentaries that I looked at and worked through this, the word for general spirit is a word, it's a Greek word called apikos, and I might be saying it wrong. And, but it has a much fuller meaning than just gentle spirit. And here's some of the different words and phrases that were used because it's such a huge word. But here's some of them. See, see if you fit any of these. Or maybe better off, see if you know anyone that has these. Sweet reasonableness. Sweet reasonableness. Generosity. Goodwill. Friendliness. Magnanimity. Charity. Listen to this now. This is gentle spirit. Charity toward the faults of others. Oh, yeah, you're all looking down right now. Um, how about mercy toward the failures of others? Indulgence of the failures of others. Leniency. Big-heartedness. Moderation, forbearance, and gentleness. The word that comes to mind for me is one that I think kind of pulls it together is a graciousness, a humble graciousness. Are you known as someone who's humbly gracious toward others? As I looked at this, I could only think, you know, I'm not going to look out there. There were certain people that came to my mind that said, man, they fit this category. And I would guarantee you, as best as I can, that they're that way, not just inside the building. You can just see it in certain people. They got a gentle spirit about them. They're peacemakers. They're, uh, they're looking for the good. So I would just say I, I like that, a humble graciousness and being patient and gentle with those who don't deserve it. Um, and and I, as I looked at this, I, I thought, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty reasonable. I'm, I'm fairly generous. I, and then I got the charity toward the faults of others, and I just fell apart. I'm like, well, I, I messed that up. I don't fit that part at all. So, but maybe you fit all those categories. If you do, praise God. And I want to invite you to my house for dinner because I need some of that humble graciousness. We all need that. We all need that in the building. We all need that in the body of Christ for sure. But what about outside the walls of this church? What about in your car on the way here when your wife wasn't quite ready and you're in the driveway honking at her? Because you're going to be late. Humble graciousness. 
I, I'm stepping on my own toes, people. I, I'm, I'm not very good at these things myself. Work in progress. But I think it becomes a little bit, a little bit easier maybe when you read on. So let your gentle spirit be known to all men, period. And then the next line he says, the next four words is, the Lord is near. And I like to use that like a pivot point on these passages. I am to rejoice in the Lord always because he is near. How near is the Lord to you? How near is the Lord to you? You can talk. How near is he to you? He's very near to you. He's closer to me than any of you can get. He's closer to me than my wife. He's closer to me than my kids. He's so close, he's inside me. That's how near he is. It could, now, this passage, this, this terminology here could be used in time and space, or it could be used just space, or, but I think Paul uses it both ways. The Lord is near means he's, he's right there with you. But it also can mean the time of the Lord is near. It can also mean that he could be coming back any moment. I think Paul believed that. So he may have written it both, it could be both ways, and no one's really clear um, I can't tell you definitively one way or the other, but I'm liking to use it that he is near so that I can rejoice in him because he's near. I, I can have a gentle spirit about me because he is near. Because, see, if I try and have a gentle spirit all on my own, it ain't going to happen. And it ain't going to happen in you either. But because he's near, there's a hope that I might be able to display a gentle spirit toward you. Huh? Think about before you were saved. Did you have a gentle spirit about you? Probably pretty selfish in reality. Most of us are. Most of us are fighting that even after we get saved. So, but with him near, I have a hope that I can maybe have a gentle spirit. With him near, I can rejoice in him. Because it's his ability, not mine. So we move along. He is near to the believer to hear their cry and to strengthen them. Knowing this, that the Lord is near, it just makes sense to me, the next statement. Be anxious for nothing. And this is that phase of the, the previous one, the gentle spirit was a contentment on display, and thanksgiving has to happen for a gentle spirit to happen. Then you have trust in the Lord. Is The Lord is near, so trust in him. Be anxious for nothing because I trust in him. Not because the circumstances is not so big that it affects me, because it does. There are going to be circumstances in your life that you're going to, your natural reaction will be to be anxious about them. I want to remind you of the previous four words. The Lord is near. The Lord is near, and no matter what you're going through today, he knows about it. He knew about it before it took place or before it started to take place. So be anxious for nothing. Sounds so simple. 
And I'd be crazy to make you think that I'm never anxious about things. I received this week a letter from the IRS. Let me tell you something. That's an anxious moment. Because <laughs> I wasn't expecting no tax return. There was no check in that mail. So that's one of those ones you go, should I open this? Well, you have to open it. But it is an anxious moment. What time is it? Okay, I got another hour. <laughs> oh, see, that was an anxious moment for all of you just now. Yeah. No, I don't have an hour, but I have a little time. So be anxious for nothing. Let me tell you about a time I was very anxious. Um, as I drove down the freeway at crazy speeds in a little red Volkswagen following the ambulance that had my daughter in it who was suffering from a grand mal seizure that had started in my home in Rodeo. I had taken, I had made two phone calls to her grandparents and to our pastor to let them know that we had some kind of an ordeal going on with my little girl. Would they pray? Um, that was an anxious moment for me, rather anxious. Um, it's almost anxious me thinking about it now even. But um, I'd had an anxious moment about three years earlier with that same little girl where she hallucinated and saw things on herself, had viral encephalitis, we found out. And I wasn't necessarily walking with the Lord during that first one. And I remember praying to the Lord and telling him he better leave my kids alone. Trying to get my attention? Leave my kids alone. You come after me. Oh, yeah, I was a big man. I probably weighed 170 pounds. But this time was different. I'm following that ambulance probably about 10 minutes after it. And as I begin to talk to the Lord, I said to him, Lord, we're very thankful for the little girl you gave us. But, we, but I realize it's your gift to give, it's your gift to take. But please don't take my little girl. Hmm. A little contrast in the two circumstances, but both anxious moments. But you know, after you pray that prayer, there seems to be a calm that takes place. The first time I prayed and told him not to mess with my kids, that wasn't too calming. That was pretty much me being a little rebel. The second time was done with a little bit of thanksgiving. And that's where we're headed. Be anxious for nothing. And this is one of the biggest words for being only three letters. But, but, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, I looked up everything. I did. I looked up everything. 
And I looked it up in the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary online. Of course, I don't have the book. And it means this. Everything means all that exists. So see, you don't get your little category. Because he says, in everything, by prayer and supplication. Huh? You guys with me? With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to the pastor. The deacons, your neighbor, to God. Hmm. Be anxious for nothing, but, but in everything, and like I said, everything means all that exists, all that relates to the subject at hand. All that is important, that's everything. So you don't get to choose your category and say, well, I'm not going to pray to him about this one. I'm going to carry this anxiousness with me. Because this is not big enough for God to, to deal with. This, I, I, this is a little one. I can handle it. I've still got anxiety. I'm still anxious about it. But I, this is not so big I can't kind of deal with that. Any of y'all do that? None of you have ever done that, I'm sure. I'm probably only me. I'm probably the only guy that's done that. But in everything, and, and I want to remind you of something. What is big to you is pretty tiny to God. The biggest thing you can think of in your life is small in comparison to what God's power is. Huh? Is there anything too big that he can't do? So, well, I don't know when we started thinking that we get to measure what's big and what isn't. Well, this is just something little. I can take care of that one. But in everything, everything, all that exists, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Hmm. Three synonyms for prayer are present in the verse. Prayer itself, the actual word, supplication, and requests. Those are things you do when you pray. Prayer, when you use the word synonym for prayer, it, just, it's, it means like a reverence. I'm going to talk to God. It's a little different than if I call Deborah and talk to her or call my wife and talk to her. Now, my wife might think differently, but it's a little different. Okay? So when I, when I get in the presence of the Lord... <clears throat> something happens to me when I talk to the Lord, if I'm praying with you or if I'm by myself, that for some reason I cannot control it. I've tried. But almost every time I ever pray, these tear duct things open up. And water just flows. I don't do that when I talk to anybody else. But when I get with him by myself, and I start to talk to him, and I start to realize that I'm in the presence of the King of Kings. That he sent his son to die on my behalf. Uh, something different happens to me. 
So I've kind of even almost asked the Lord to take that from me. He hasn't done it, so I'm just going to keep crying when I pray. The only thing is my cheeks get all red and not near as good looking as I normally am when that happens. You take that however you want to. So Paul is making the assumption that a believer, when they're in a stressful circumstance, he's kind of assuming that they know that they should cry out to the Father, that they should let him know what is going on. That's what supplication. Supplication comes from the word supply. So I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to let my request be known to him because he has a supply that I need, that you need, right? So it's called supply and demand. I got the demand and he's got the supply. So I'm going to be letting him know. But now then, the benefit or the requirement in this, what's the attitude that's required? In the passage, the attitude that's required is not one of, God, you better do this. I'm letting you know what I need, and you better take care of it, or I'm going to stop going to church. What's the attitude? Thanksgiving. Now, did I make it up? It's there, isn't it? Huh. I think that's what it says. With thanksgiving. Hmm. Everything, prayer, supplication, let your requests be known with thanksgiving. That's fun, huh? And what's the result? Without thanksgiving, I would dare say, if you don't have some thanksgiving going on, you're certainly not praising him. And you're certainly not rejoicing. And you're certainly not gentle-spirited. I would say that almost guaranteeing it. You need to be able to pray with thanksgiving. You say, but pastor, you don't understand. I got that letter from the IRS too. And I owe a bunch of money and I don't have it. I don't know what I'm going to do. Or I got a doctor's report that says I'm going to die. What do I do with that? Or it says that my wife is ill. Or my children, my children are going off crazy. They're on drugs. They're having sex with everybody. What do I do? Well, worry about it. That'll fix it. Huh? Can you add one day to your life by worrying? No, you'll just make whatever time God's given you miserable for yourself. What do you do? You go to him. But, you use the but word, but that's a contrast. Here's a negative, this is a positive. This is very negative. Nothing, I'm not going to be anxious for anything because everything I do is going to be wrapped in prayer with thanksgiving. Everything. That's all of it. Now, I didn't know it at the time. But that's what I did when I was following that ambulance. I was giving him thanks for the gift he had given. Thank you, Lord, for the gift. But you know what? 
what does the anxious thing that you're worried about today, what is it going to do in your life? God knows about it. He uses circumstances and what we would call negative circumstances. He allows those things to happen in your life so that you'll respond to him like this. What happens in trials? What happens in trials? You grow through them. Your character is developed. What God is doing in your life today is maturing you. He's bringing you to a standard that's more like his son. Isn't that what trials are for? Trials are to build perseverance and endurance. But in this circumstance, we've been given a command. And now we're given an explanation. The command says, be anxious for nothing. But the explanation says, and this is how you aren't anxious. This is what you can do to not be anxious. Okay? So there's a result in this. So, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, period. And then look what happens. And the peace of God... Any of you ever experienced the peace of God? There's nothing like the peace of God. Nothing like it. But this is, you, you received peace from God the minute you accepted his son. Because before that, you were at war with him. See, if you're here today and you don't know what I'm talking about when I say if you're saved or you're a believer, if you don't know what that means, boy, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I would love to introduce you to my Jesus so that you would understand it, maybe. The peace of God took place in your life when you got saved. True? Everything, all your problems didn't go away, but all of a sudden you felt like something was taken off of you. Didn't you? And things changed for you, and that was the peace of God in your life. All right. But this piece is a little bit different than that, I think. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, if that doesn't make you want to pray with some thanksgiving when you're going through an anxious moment. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that I'm commanded to be anxious for nothing. But I don't always obey commands. Matter of fact, I'm kind of built the minute you tell me I have to, I don't want to. Oh, and you're built the same way. So if I would be anxious for nothing, and the result of the way I get away from, away from that is by praying about everything with thanksgiving, so instead of being worrying and can't sleep at night and waking up in the middle of the night, I get peace? Wow! What an exchange. So you can worry and have fears and do all of that, or it sounds, we would call this, leave it at the cross. We would just say, leave it at the cross, would you? Quit carrying that around. Quit carrying that around. 
Quit carrying the burdens and the anxiousness in your life around. Give it to him. And then the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's incomprehensible peace. You don't understand it. How do you bury loved ones? How, how do you bury your mother and do it in such a joyful way in a way? And don't say, take that wrong. But in a, in a joyful way, you can say, I know where she's at. I know where she's going. I know where she went. She's in heaven. She's in a better place. How would you like to know him better? How would you like to be able to rejoice in him better? Remember we talked about that. Get to know him better. How would you like to experience this peace more often? No, none of you? How would you like to, you can raise your hands. How many of you would like to experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding in whatever circumstance you're in today? Well, the answer's right here. I didn't come up with the formula. I'm just reading the word. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It's one continual, it's, it's the same thought. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It means it will take you out of that circumstance. The circumstance will stay the same, but your, your involvement in it emotionally changes. I'm not, no longer worried about it. Oh, yeah, we still got to go to work and fix whatever. They, I still had to write a check to the IRS. Right? I still had to take my daughter to the doctor. Thank God she's fine. No ill effects from, well, I won't know about ill effects, but she's healthy. And it, there's, a con, there's a little bit of a phrasing here that says, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look where we're back to. Rejoice in the Lord always. In who? The Lord. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. We're back to being in him again. Now, the key ingredient is the attitude to me. The attitude of thanksgiving. I'm thankful that I'm thankful for the trials and the test in my life, the, the things that have come along. So I am so thankful I'm not where I was at 20 years ago in my relationship with the Lord. I know him better because I've studied him more. But I also know him better because I've experienced these things with him. I've watched him keep that promise in my life. He has kept that promise. If he doesn't keep his promise, he ain't God. And why are we here? There's a promise here, people. And it starts with you having a thankful heart. Thanksgiving for who I am in him. I can rejoice in Christ because he changed me. I am what I am today, not because of any of you. It's him so I rejoice in him. I have joy in him. I'm working on the gentle spirit. Doesn't sound like it right now, but I am working on a gentle spirit. And so should you be. But don't do it on your own. 
even in the gentle spirit, you can ask this way. Thankfulness. Thanksgiving is more than a Thursday in November. In the Christian life, it's paramount that you be thanks, that you have Thanksgiving in your life. Look at your circumstances. Why are you where you're at? Why are you anxious this morning? Why are you not anxious this morning? Huh? You're on one end of the spectrum or the other. You can't be just a little bit anxious. Right? Because the minute you are a little bit anxious, you're anxious. But if you got a little bit of peace, you should have all of it. Because my peace is based on what? Not on you guys. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be offensive. It's based on him. Amen? That's my Thanksgiving message for this morning. Last thing I say, and then I'll let you go. If you start with Thanksgiving in your prayer and you get the result of the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which is guarding your mind and your heart, you should end in Thanksgiving. It never ends. You can never stop thanking God. Never. You might be able to, thank, you might be able to stop thanking other people. Maybe they let you borrow their car one time. You say, thank you for that, and that's it. But with God, it's an ongoing thing. You can never stop thanking him. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. You're let go. Amen.